So welcome to this edition of On The Pulse, in which CMS experts provide updates on key developments bringing innovation and disruption to the life sciences and healthcare sector. I'm your host, Nick Beckett. Today, we're navigating the area of public procurement, and I'm delighted to be joined by three of the CMS life sciences and healthcare specialists who regularly advise clients in this sector. So we have Virginie Dor from Belgium, we have Bernd Elstadt from Austria, and we have Caroline Hobson from the UK. So welcome to all of you. So to set the uh, the context here, um, the European Union has a GDP of about 15 trillion euros and about 15% of that, approximately 2.3 trillion uh, euros are procured by public entities. So obviously that includes roads and railways and um, hospitals and uh, public, various public services and healthcare though is a very significant part of that public expenditure, about 10% of GDP uh, uh, approximately 1.5 trillion euros relates to healthcare expenditure. So that will include the building and maintenance of hospitals, it will include the procurement of medical devices and uh, pharmaceuticals, and it will include, you know, salaries for doctors and healthcare professionals. And the very, uh, the percentage will vary uh, across different member states. It's about 11 or 11.3 percent in Germany. It's down to 5.2% in Romania and in the UK, it's about 9.6%. So it's a pretty important um, area within the life sciences and healthcare sector. And we've seen with COVID, um, you know, substantial changes in some parts. At the beginning, we had a very sudden, significant demand for medical devices, for PPE equipment, masks, gloves, etc. More recently, vaccines. Um, and I'll be very interested to hear from our experts about how how the system coped with it, because it seemed to me reading reading in the press, there was sort of competition between countries and those sorts of things. So, you know, arguably uh, in the very early stages, maybe it wasn't, um, uh, you know, going exactly as the public procurement rules would have would, would typically provide. But then more recently, we've seen the commission uh, on behalf of, you know, all member states procuring medical devices and vaccines. So again, I think that's quite a a significant positive that uh, I'll be interested to to hear about. But I think before going into you know that level of detail, maybe just as a as a, a basic introduction for those of our listeners who aren't so familiar with the area, maybe each of you could just outline briefly how and in what areas public procurement um, regulation plays a role in the life sciences and healthcare sector. So maybe uh, Virginie, do you want to kick us off with that one? Yeah, of course. Thank you, Nick. Well, actually, public procurement applies to any contracting authority and a contracting authority is an entity that is funded by public money. And in most of the countries, uh, hospitals are mainly funded by uh, public money. And that's why hospitals have have to comply with public procurement rules for any of their purchases, uh, which means for drugs, for gloves, for uh, uh, toilet paper for any purchase they would make, uh, medical devices, scanners, etc. They they will have to comply with public procurement rules, most of them, um, and that affects quite drastically the business strategy of of our clients of uh, medical devices firms uh, and pharma companies because they have to go via this this flow of this public procurement process, which is quite complex. Um, and, and restricts contacts between firms and, and, and contracting authorities. 
Um, and we have tried these last years to think about how you can still uh, sell innovative products and be flexible uh, within this quite strict framework with our clients. Um, and therefore, we have developed a partnership with MedTech, for example, to develop the meet public procurement uh, framework, uh, which which aims to to put the focus on value uh, rather than only on price. Um, and we have also developed uh, some partnerships with the European Commission within the Eurefi project, um, which is also a project that tries to focus on um, purchases in the healthcare sector, but focus on value and long-term partnerships between firms and uh, hospitals. Contracting authorities in the life science and healthcare sector include hospitals, social insurances, provinces, municipalities, universities and other procuring entities. Procuring projects include the construction and maintenance of hospitals and rehab centers, supply of medical devices and drugs, services in the healthcare sectors, as well as research and development. Often, contracting authorities combine their procurement activities in procuring associations and umbrella organizations, or they make jointly use of the centralized purchasing entity such as the federal procurement company in Austria, the so-called Bundesbeschaffungs GmbH, which can be instructed to procure on behalf of any federal contracting authority. In large-scale procurement projects, member states can procure on behalf of local procuring entities. The European Commission and the centralized purchasing entities can be instructed to procure even cross-border on behalf of several member states or procuring entities in several member states. So from my perspective, the point to add is, and I think this is reflected in what Bernd says, is that um, there's a lot of complexity um, in the framework in which um, a lot of uh, hospitals, public health services are structured. So whilst the procurement framework, the legal framework is basically the same across the whole of the EU and for the time being in the UK, you've just got a lot of different purchasing approaches. So that adds complexity. So the legal framework is 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 familiar, to, um, but it's the actual commercial environment that differs. And what we do find is that um, there will be a lot of you know, changing policy on the behalf of, on behalf of public sector um, purchasing for for, for health. Um, you know, that's you can see that in COVID, for example, um, how they've had to change. And I think keeping up with those commercial drivers is is a real strategic issue for many life sciences companies because they're having to adapt to those procurement policies. So so the the law provides complexity. Um, but a lot of the time, it's a lot of the kind of commercial issues that are being pushed through from public sector buyers um, that makes it quite a challenging environment. So we had, as you say, Caroline, we had with COVID, we had, you know, um, some major changes, obviously, and a real supply problem, at least in the early stages. Um, and I just wonder, I mean, how, how did the European Union, how did member states deal with that huge deficit, you know, in the early stages of the pandemic? Well, uh, on the 1st April 2020, the European Commission issued a communication on using the public procurement framework in the emergency situation related to the COVID-19 crisis. 
and actually it was really interesting uh, what they packed into that. Um, in this guidance, the Commission emphasized the possibilities to substantially reduce deadlines in open and restricted procedures, so far so easy, um, if necessary, the use of a negotiated procedure without publication, eventually even the direct uh, award uh, to a pre-selected economic operator provided that this operator is the only one able to deliver within the technical uh, and time constraints um, was uh, mentioned. Further, the Commission recommended alternative solutions to buy within days or even within hours. And let's keep in mind, usually it takes us several weeks or even months uh, to do a procurement procedure. The guidance paper argued that in such extreme and unforeseeable urgency, the EU directives do not contain procedural constraints. The negotiated procedure without publication allows direct negotiations with potential contractors. There are no public requirements, no time limits, and no minimum number of candidates. In order to speed up, public buyers may contact potential contractors even by phone, email, or in person. They may hire agents with better contacts in the markets to go directly there send representatives directly to the countries with the necessary stocks and contact potential suppliers to increase production or start or renewal production. In my, from my perspective, then, um, you know, the, the, the authorities, so the European Commission, the UK, for example, came out with some guidance notes at the beginning of COVID to say, look, where the procurement framework is relatively flexible. There are tools there that can be used to procure things quickly and flexibly. Um, and so, for instance, they recommended the use uh, of frameworks, a lot of frameworks in place that they should be used using digital procurement. Um, potentially using joint procurement as well as the various expedited procedures that, that Bernd was referring to. Um, so the tools were there. I think that said, um, it, a lot of contracting authorities didn't have the bandwidth, certainly in the health sector, to adopt some of those um, approaches. Um, and so what you saw was a lot of very quick purchasing um, uh, often, you know, doing it in, in the form of sort of direct awards without going through those those more um, adaptable procedures um, and, and therefore, for instance, you know, trying to do innovative procurement solutions in a pandemic just wasn't going to be feasible. So touching on, um, you know, joint procurement then during during COVID um, and I think most most notably the Commission's um, joint purchasing of um, uh, vaccines for all member states. I mean, that seems to me to be a pretty a significant thing, but how, how do those joint procurements work in practice and what are the, you know, what are the benefits, what are the, what are the, what are the pitfalls with that approach? Virginie? Well, indeed, the, the Commission has launched, as we have all seen, uh, various joint procurements uh, of, of medical devices, for example, and, and the vaccines on behalf of the member states. Uh, right at the beginning, um, the Commission has, for example, organized a, a joint procurement for respiratory devices, uh, and they are quite huge procurement processes with a lot of challenges for the firms because the, the the time frame that was fixed by the Commission in all of these joint procurements 
was really, really short. Uh, so firms have to collect a lot of documents, a lot of information and fix prices in a crisis time in very, very short deadlines without knowing exactly what will be the scope of the procurement because because it's on behalf of the member states and that there are quite a lot of um, questions still about how many uh, doses for the vaccines or how many um, uh, devices uh, the member states will need and will purchase all of these elements are uh, still um, unsure for for the producer and for the firm. That's why they have to fix prices and they don't know exactly where they have to deliver within the 27 member states, uh, in which time frame, etc, etc. So uh, it was quite a challenge uh, for our clients to respond to to these tenders organized by the European Commission. It's it's a huge opportunity, of course, business opportunity, but at the same time, it's a huge huge risk for them. Um, and it was also the case uh, when, when negotiating the the APA advanced purchase agreements for the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, because all of these negotiations had to be done in a very, very short time frame uh, on behalf of uh, a lot of uh, member states. And we noticed that the clauses of the Commission uh, were probably a bit the same for all firms, but still every firm had its specificities. Um, so the, the public procurement setup had to be quite flexible to, to allow these negotiations, but, but it was the case and we have possibilities within the strict public procurement framework to, uh, to allow for these negotiations in crisis times. Clearly, um, a significant advantage of the EU-wide cooperation is the strengthening um, of the buying power and the coordinated distribution and logistics following such uh, procurement. Uh, in the first weeks of the pandemic, we saw that member states competed among each other and withheld face masks, protective gloves, ventilators and other medical devices urgently needed in other member states. Especially smaller countries should benefit from an increase of buying power and distribution according to demand. On the other hand, individual countries are more flexible. Regarding the procurement of vaccines, we saw, for example, that Israel, but also UK, was most successful in procuring vaccines very quickly. So in terms of a centralised procurement, I think um, uh, we, we are going to see more of it post-COVID. I think that will be the case. We've already, certainly in the UK, in, within the context of the NHS, seen a lot more joint procurement between various NHS authorities. There's much more hub procurement going on. And I think we will see more joint procurement now. Um, I think the concern obviously is, um, and the scrutiny has been less around the fact of about the joint procurement, more about the commercials, perhaps that the commission negotiated. So as ever with any um, public sector contract that you know, that's being negotiated. Obviously, those contracting authorities doing it jointly would need to absolutely focus on the commercials rather than just simply the process of doing it on a joint basis. So, you know, I think though that would probably be the the lesson from 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 um, the COVID joint procurement, certainly at the Commission level. Um, and uh, but I don't, I don't, I can't see joint procurement necessarily going away. 
Interesting. So, I mean, it, you know, you've got the the positive of the joint procurement in a way, but as I understand it, in in the early stages, um, some of the contracting authorities during COVID were, you know, to a certain extent, showing a disregard for some of the public procurement rules, and we were seeing more um, direct awards. And I mean, you know, are, are are those awards are they legal? Are they justified? Um, what would your advice be, Caroline? So the direct awards are certainly permissible and at the moment the, the legal framework um, allows uh, direct awards or competitive procedure without negotiation is its formal title. That's allowed in a situation of urgency. It's also allowed in some other situations, for example, where there's only one potential product on the market, for instance, around because of IP rights. Um, and so they are certainly allowed, but generally case law um, and the, the courts have applied a very high threshold to when that is permissible, because obviously you're denying others in the others in the market the opportunity to tender. So you you always have to, as a contracting authority, if you're using one of those, ensure that those um, tests are met. Um, uh, and um, you know there is sometimes a certain degree of risk. But obviously, there's been a lot of scrutiny. There's been a lot of direct awards being made, um, and there's been um, a lot of scrutiny of those. And certainly, we've seen now in the UK quite a number of legal challenges around, for instance, the procurement of PPE. Um, so they can. The short answer is yes, they are legal, but they absolutely have to be compliant with the very limited justifications in the procurement rules that allow them. Exactly. And also, um, um, we can also add that actually it's the extreme urgency that justifies a direct award is there only to fill the gap, the gap due to the crisis. Uh, but you're not supposed to contract um, with, with a firm via a direct award for years. Uh, arguing that that there was an extreme urgency at a certain point. Uh, so you you can contract and, and conclude some small contracts, crisis contracts, just to fill the gap between now and, and you know, the end of the uh, administrative also crisis in, in your hospital. But you know, you cannot decide to use this opportunity to conclude uh, contracts, IT contracts, or uh, make big purchases for years with maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's really a procedure that is there to, to fill a very, very restricted uh, gap in, in, in a time of crisis. And what we see is that hospitals now still continue sometimes to to use this exception to justify direct awards and i think at this stage it's not it's not permissible anymore because i mean the crisis is not unpredictable anymore it's 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 a fact um and and judges that will judge about these direct awards will probably say that well the hospitals have to organize themselves around that and still comply with public procurement rules. Yes, and if a direct award turns out to be unlawful, the sanction can be harsh. The respective agreement uh, can be declared null and void. Uh, and in the case of an agreement stays effective, the contracting authority can be pledged to pay a fine of up to 20% of the procurement amount below the thresholds up to 10% of the procurement amount. Any competitor interested in the assignment can request the review procedure. 
in one member state, Hungary, even the private contractor can be fined uh, if agreement to, to an un, uh, if agreeing to an unlawful direct award. The uh, European Court of Justice has hold such a um, um, uh, ruling in the Hungarian law. So another exception that um, sometimes invoked in the in the healthcare sector to proceed to direct awards, um, though not specific to COVID, is um, alleged exclusivity of some products, um, mainly when it comes to purchasing drugs. So to, to what extent can exclusivity justify um, a derogation from the, you know, the usual public procurement uh, regulations, Bernd? Well, we do have an um, explicit ruling on that. Uh, Article 32, Paragraph 2B of the Directive 2014-24 rules that the negotiated procedure without prior publication may be used whether supplies or services can be supplied only by a particular economic operator based on the protection of exclusive rights, including in the intellectual property rights. This situation uh, is given if a company owns the patent rights uh, for a product and no other operator uh, has any licensing rights and there is no alternative solution available and therefore there is no competition uh, regarding this product. The only information for competitors to review such procurement is the obligatory ex post publication above the thresholds. So that is exactly the point where they get knowledge about this happening. If the publication takes place after conclusion of the contract, competitors have a 30 days period to challenge the procurement. If the award decision is published before conclusion of the contract, there is a 10 days period only available for any reviews. Whereas direct awards up to an amount of 50,000 euros need no publication. In this case, in Austria, for example, competitors may initiate a review procedure within 10 days after having learned or could have learned that the direct award has happened. But clearly, we are below the thresholds here, and therefore, it's national ruling. One of the points around exclusivity, I mean, it's generally been um, used to allow um, the direct purchasing of many drugs, given the, the nature of the IP rights. What we are seeing now, though, is those contracting authorities broadening out their requirements more for, for kind of therapeutic areas, which obviously creates challenges for, for pharma companies, um, because it means that now the purchasing of certain drugs is, you know, is uh, does face quite a lot of competition and are subject to broader tenders. So that's something that we're certainly seeing um, within the on the pharma purchasing side around um, uh, uh, the um, perhaps authorities now not not relying so much on that that ground of exclusivity um, to to go out and purchase directly. Yeah, on the other hand, you also have uh, hospitals that rely only on patent rights to consider that they are in a situation of exclusivity. So they consider that once a firm has a patent right on on a drug, well, there is an exclusivity because of the patent. Uh, which is not always the case because, as Byrne said just before, um, the the motive has to be that there is no alternative product. Sometimes you have one patented product that is an alternative to another patented product for a certain pathology. Um, 
and and sometimes hospitals work for example just with one product or just with the other or with the two which which demonstrates that actually there is not only one firm or one product that can answer to the pathology in question and we have been asked uh, several times to to challenge these situations where the hospital just says, well, there is a patent, there is an exclusivity, I can go for a direct award. Uh, we have been asked by competitors to challenge that and say, well, no, our product, which is also patented, is actually an, an alternative, a valid alternative to the other one. So they have to be uh, put within a public procurement framework competition system uh, so that the two products can be compared and that the hospital can choose for the best one um, and and that happened quite often uh, at least from from my perspective and and these challenges are considered as valid by by courts so finally i don't i don't think we could uh, conclude without touching on the uh, the subject of brexit so uh, the eu and the uk obviously um, finally signed a trade and cooperation agreement on uh, 24th of December last year, uh, hoping and aiming to structure the future relationship. But I think uh, people will be interested to know what's going to change for, for British companies wanting to take part in uh, procurement procedures in the EU and obviously vice versa. And, and do we already have any early experiences to share on this? So uh, Caroline, do you want to start off? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say something. So, um, well, certainly in the UK, the, the procurement position is is unchanged in the sense that we've got a set of regulations, which uh, is the set of regulations we had, which implemented the EU di procurement directive. So we're, we're still operating under the exactly the same legal framework um, and that has not changed. The principal change in the UK is if you are an EU supplier and you are looking for tender opportunities, um, then you cannot be using the OJU um, and the tenders electronic daily to look look for those tender opportunities. We've now got a UK system called Find a Tender. So that's one of a practical impact. Certainly the trade and cooperation agreement requires um, us to um, have um, in place a procurement framework um, to um, not only um, uh, meet our obligations in that agreement, but also we've got broader um, WTO obligations that we have to meet to have a procurement framework. Um, and what the, the key issue, I think, for EU suppliers um, in respect of supplying into the UK, certainly, is that actually changes afoot on that, on that front, because the UK government has proposed a new framework, new procurement framework, issued a green paper just before Christmas. That's currently being consulted on consultation closes on the 10th of March. And that is putting in place quite a different procurement framework in the UK. Now, in actual fact, it, it draws on a lot that we've got in, in, in the EU framework. And there's a lot that's very familiar there. And they're retaining a, you know, a fair, fair amount of the existing types of procedures and processes. But there are also some very significant differences. So certainly for EU based suppliers who are going to be looking to supply into the UK, then that's something that they're going to have to keep a close eye on. And I know certainly from having spoken to a lot of life sciences clients, both in the UK, but also based in Europe, that's an area of significant interest um, because obviously, you know, the UK is an important market for many. Um, and uh, we're going to, you know, have to see how that develops. Broadly speaking, the government is looking for more transparency 
it's looking for the regime to be less burdensome and bureaucratic, um, greater negotiation um, and a more agile system. Uh, on the whole, that has a lot of benefits, but also I think it has some concerns in respect of how you overlay that type of framework within the various procurement policies and the fact that for life sciences companies, um, you know, the NHS in the UK, for example, is is their main customer. So it, it's a, a key, key area for them to understand. Uh, besides the question of uh, being allowed to participate in a public tender, there are several other circumstances and conditions that make it more difficult for companies from the EU and the UK to participate in public tenders outside the common market. For example, to meet technical specifications when having different technical standards or because companies uh, cannot benefit from the country of origin principle, meaning that service suppliers from the respective states will lose their automatic right to offer services in the other one. UK companies must comply with the often varying host country rules in each member state and thus may need to establish themselves in the EU to continue operating successfully. It's really interesting to uh, just to conclude to, to, to consider the agility of the system, I guess. I mean, particularly in these exceptional times of, of Brexit and, and COVID and, you know, interesting to see how on the on the one hand, certainly with COVID at the, in the early stages, you know, um, seemingly, you know, some of the rules being somewhat sidestepped with direct rewards. But, you know, on the other hand, the positivity of joint procurement of vaccines uh, at latter stages. So obviously uh, the agility is is there. So I think that's all we uh, we have time for today. So thank you for joining us for this edition of On The Pulse. We hope you found our discussions to be thought-provoking and insightful. If you'd like to discuss any of the topics covered, please do get in touch. To find out more about On The Pulse and the CMS Global Life Sciences and Healthcare Group, visit cms.law. Audio versions of On The Pulse are available through your usual podcast store.